Everyone's talking about Texas and its new abortion law, and we get into it this week on Right Now. Kat Murdy and Nate Hotchman are here. They both call themselves pro-life, but that's where the agreement ends. We debate whose rights matter more, the mother's or the child's, whether government promotes a culture of death, and if we should be excited about the sci-fi prospect of children being grown outside the womb. Oh, and should men be part of this conversation at all? So, Kat, just to start off uh, way in the deep end, do you think it is correct for men like Nate Hotchman and myself to be part of the conversation or even part of crafting policy around abortion? Well, I think those are two very different questions, Stephen, because I do think that men are honestly, obviously going to be part of the conversation because children do not get created without men, right? Um, when it comes to policy, I think the problem is that people have such different views uh, about this that it really is best that we have these discussions outside of the policy realm. And so I think that men can be pro-life. I think they can be pro-choice. I think they can be very vocal. And in fact, I think they should be very vocal about what their views are when it comes to abortion. And I think that the best realm for them to uh, to control whether or not abortions are happening are in their personal discussions with their sex partners over whether or not what decision would be made in the event of a pregnancy. I mean, you get where I'm coming from, Nate, on this. Like, every time there is a, a big abortion story in the news, we always are treated to sort of this robust Twitter commentary and memes and graphics about, like, how a, a courtroom full of men decided what to do with women's bodies as if uh, men are not part of the equation when it comes to creating babies <laughs> in life. Right. Well, it's also just a canard because if you actually look at the leadership of most of the major pro-life organizations in America, they're disproportionately female. I mean, the pro-life movement is driven by women, and it's often women who are the most concerned with pro-life issues. So just as a, as a stereotype, it's not actually just straight white men who are controlling women's bodies. Well, I think here's, here's what it comes down to. No, men should not be able to control women's bodies, and neither should other women. This should be a very, it's a deeply personal decision. It's one that touches upon people's religious views, upon their personal bodily autonomy, upon their health, upon their entire life, their economic resources, everything. And I think that that's something that really, at the end of the day, should be a personal decision. The question of course, and I think you'd agree with this, Kat, is whether or not it's just a woman's body, right? Because I think to a certain extent, if the formulation is that it is just controlling women's bodies, we would agree that the government shouldn't be telling women what to do with the very sort of basic autonomy in terms of their body. If we're talking about a baby, if we're talking about a human life, the equation changes because we would all agree that one of the most fundamental things that the government should do is protect the life of a human child. And I think that is the motion that we're going to be discussing today. So on that note, real quick, I just want to take a moment to welcome everyone watching and listening. This is right now, and we are in the deep end of this conversation already, which is great. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and today we're going to be talking about that Texas abortion law, SB8, known as the Texas Heartbeat Act, and abortion policy, and what the role of government should be in guarding life and liberty for all human beings evolve involved in the equation.
The Supreme Court announced over the weekend it's going to take the case up on November 1st, but that isn't going to halt the actual law, and it's going to be months before there's actually a ruling on it. That's why you need to watch this episode, because the issue is about to explode back into the public square yet again. So joining me today, I've got Kat Murdy, Executive Director of Feminists for Liberty, and welcome back, Kat. It was nice to have you back on. It's been, I don't know, a couple couple months at this point. It's been a little while, uh, but... Our last conversation. And joining us for the second week in a row, we've got Nate Hotchman, ISI Fellow at the National Review, and a Rightly contributor. Our numbers on Rightly are growing every single week, so I want to thank each and every one of you who have hit that subscribe button. The rest of you, what are you doing? What are you waiting for? <laughs> like and subscribe. We have new episodes every Thursday and bonus original content throughout the week. And if you leave comments, I do read comments, so, you know, try to leave one and I'll reply when I can. So that's some business out of the way. Now, let's dive right back into this conversation and sort of put our cards on the table before we go any further on defining life. What is your view on abortion, your operating personal view, and how you feel about where policy should fall? Nate, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah, I think abortion is the taking of a human life. I think one of the government's fundamental obligations, perhaps its first obligation, as outlined in the Declaration of Independence, is to protect life. And I think that insofar as abortion is the taking of a human life, the government should ban it outright because it is nothing less than the taking of a life of a human child. Um, and unborn children are perhaps the most vulnerable members of our society, of our political community, and our obligation to them certainly extends to giving them the opportunity to live out their lives as human beings. Well, Stephen, in my utopian world, there would not be any abortions because every pregnancy would be a healthy, happy, wanted pregnancy. Um, I do consider myself personally pro-life. Um, the, the fact that so many people feel that this is the only choice that they have is deeply concerning to me. However, I also think that this is a very personal uh, decision that people make. And uh it's just the fact of the matter that abortion bans do not actually change whether or not uh, pregnancies are ended. Women have been ending pregnancies uh, for as long as women have understood that being pregnant means having a child at the end of it. Um, and fundamentally, uh, the, the fact that abortion is legal or quasi-legal in the United States uh, has not changed that. In fact, if you look at the numbers uh, since Roe v. Wade was passed, the abortion rate has continued to fall year over year over year. And it, that's equally the case in states with more restrictive or less restrictive laws. I believe in creating a culture of life, one in which uh, women do not feel that they have to end an otherwise healthy pregnancy. So if I were to boil that down to just basics, you are personally pro-life and when it comes to government policy, pro-choice. Absolutely. Right. It is not the role of the state to tell people how to make these deeply personal decisions. So for me, I am pro-life. I didn't come to this position until about three or so years ago until the Virginia abortion law was getting discussed. So this was when Ralph Northam got in big trouble on, on the radio for talking about, you know, delivering a child and then having it wait comfortably for its mother to decide whether or not it was going to be resuscitated after birth. Uh, this was a bill put forward by a Democratic representative, Kathy Tran, here. And I, I think that that experience like, shook me out of complacence in the middle ground on this issue. 
where I had sort of embraced a libertarian sort of de facto, this is the law of the land, there's not much that we can do about it, uh, and it's also just too personal to be involved in uh, for as far as my politics go. And I, I think for me, I'm just no longer there. I've kind of got a personal connection to the story as well. But in general, I am pro-life, and I would like to see government policy reflect a pro-life attitude as well. Have you all always felt the way that you do about this issue, or have you moved on it? Because I think a lot of people do move on this issue, and, and they're not like just born dogmatic about this, this issue. <clears throat> yeah, for me, finding out more about the details <clears throat> of what actually happens in an abortion was what made me pro-life. I think, and this is, this is I, I would wager that this is probably true of a lot of Americans who consider themselves pro-choice or just aren't particularly engaged in the issue. They don't actually know what an abortion looks like. They don't actually know that often, particularly in late-stage abortions, the thing that is being terminated looks like a human child. Um, but that shocks the conscience. When you actually see what happens in, a, in an abortion, it is very difficult to ignore the fact that that is the taking of a human life. And that for a lot of people, because the abortion industry is so good at covering what actually happens in an abortion and euphemisms, they don't really know that and they don't have access to that. So for me and for a lot of people I've talked to, finding out what an abortion actually looks like uh, was, was pretty convincing that we're talking about a human life. And because I believe we're talking about a human life and because I think the science shows that we're talking about a human life, uh, the question of whether or not this is a personal decision I think becomes secondary to whether or not the human being that is growing inside a woman has a right to life. So as much as I agree with you, Kat, that it does concern me that so many women feel like this is the only option that they have, I think that doesn't negate the inherent fundamental dignity of the baby that's growing inside of them. And just because that child might not be wanted doesn't mean that it doesn't have the same right to life that you or I or Stephen does. Well, Nate, I actually find it interesting that you talk about how finding out what abortion was like uh, changed your views on this. So I'm a mother. Um, my son is the light of my life. And uh, being pregnant actually did change my views on this and not in the way that you would think. Um, I've always been pro-life personally. I've always, um, you know, opposed abortion uh, when I don't think that the state should come in and force anybody to have a baby. But I do think that, you know, it's a, it's a deeply sad thing to me. And yet, uh, I think a lot of people just fundamentally don't understand what pregnancy or childbirth is like. And so you hear a lot of these kind of off-the-cuff uh, things from pro-life folks who say things like, oh, well, you can just, uh, the baby can be given for adoption or something mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, that's actually, you, you've, there's a reason why more and more uh, young people are choosing not to give their babies up for adoption. And part of it is that they've seen what happens to babies that go into the system. But another whole part of it is that that's not addressing the major impact that happens to your body when you are pregnant. And, uh, you know, it completely changes your body in a way. Uh, it takes at least two years for your physical body to heal. It takes about five years for your brain structure to be able to go back to what it was pre-pregnancy. And uh, in some ways, your, your body has changed for your entire life. And that's not talking about the impact of your career, the impact of everything else. Uh, so I do think that in those ways, I can see where, for me, my son was the best thing to happen to me. Um, for other women, perhaps someone who's uh, been the victim of violent rape or something like that, 
having that experience uh, could make it so much worse. And so, again, uh, while I do believe that uh, abortion is a deeply sad thing, the way in which to end it is not to bring in the state and threaten to put women in prison or anything like that. I think it's actually to create a world in which they don't have to make this kind of decision. I do also want to push back. You're talking about late-term abortion and the vast majority, vast, vast, vast majority of late-term abortion cases, which are a very narrow percentage of abortions altogether. Those aren't healthy, happy children who could just, you know, go into the adoption system or be raised by uh, parents. These are children who, for the most part, are dying, have something seriously wrong with them. Um, they might be missing an organ, they might be something like this, or they could have a, a disease that's going to cause them to die within a matter of hours or days or anything like that as well. And that's well. true. That, that, that definitely happens, and that is the case with a lot of late-term abortions. But like we all know that the rhetoric in this country, where we have how, now gotten to the point where particularly the cultural left wants to celebrate the idea of abortion and have people you know shout their abortions on Twitter, it's gotten to the point where the idea that this is a child and that even it might have been viable, that it's sort of secondary to the fact that the mother just doesn't want it, that she doesn't want to go through the process. I was reading this blog the other day talking about libertarians' aloofness on, on abortion. It was talking about the process of pregnancy as torture, and therefore it violates uh, the sort of like the, the non-aggression principle of the baby to the mother, that there's aggression going on there. I'm just going, this is nature. This is just what happens. But, so it is, but I just, I mean, on that point, Kat, I want to clarify it or I give you a chance to clarify something that you were saying, because it sounds like the way that you were talking about pregnancy is as a disease or a sickness, which I think I often hear underpinning the pro-choice rhetoric now, like Stephen was talking about. And that to me is like the tragic thing about the worldview that underpins support for legal abortion, is this idea that rather than pregnancy and child being one of the most beautiful aspects of the human condition that should be celebrated and cherished, it's something to be pushed away or terminated or to have a medical procedure to, to try to get rid of it. I mean, that to me is the really tragic thing that underpins the entire framework that justifies legal abortion, is this idea that pregnancy isn't bringing new life into a, a world and a miracle and is rather something that is sort of a disease that messes up women's bodies and you know hurts their careers like that is the the, the problem i think with the worldview that suggests that something like legalizing women being able to pay doctors to kill their babies growing inside of them makes it i mean that's that's the really disturbing aspect mm -hmm. of it Right. Well, and so here's the thing. Pregnancy is beautiful. It is a miracle of life, and it should be celebrated, and it's not nearly celebrated as much as it can when you talk about things like uh, the impact on career. That's largely because our society does not value pregnant women and does not value motherhood. I agree. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. But you know what? It's also one of the leading causes of death. It's also has actual medical impacts. And so I think that it's it's very blasé to act as if uh, that's not the case. I mean, again, your body is physically changed for the entire rest of your life. We can tell whether or not a skeleton of someone who died centuries ago had children or not based upon just looking at their bones, right? So I, I do think that you can't overlook that impact either. Now, that said, that doesn't at all change the fact that this is one of the most beautiful and amazing things. And being beautiful doesn't mean that it's not scary. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have negative impacts. And it doesn't mean that it's not dangerous. Women die from childbirth all the time. 300 women die from childbirth every day. And I think that we can't just overlook that either. Presumably, though, most abortions don't actually happen in cases where the life of the mother is at risk. That's the vast, vast minority of abortions. Most 
abortions happening in America today are elective abortions that have nothing to do with whether or not their life is in danger. So the vast majority of them are women making a choice because they feel like the human being growing inside of them is too much of a burden on their lives right. to bring so, into the world. Right. So let's change the let's change that rubric that they have to look at so that that human being is not a burden on their lives. Let's instead of putting all of this burden on the woman, let's look at our society and look at what's happening in our society that creates a situation where people are getting pregnant, where they feel like they have no better choice. That's exactly what I'm saying. We need to build a society where people do do feel that having that child, bringing that child into the world will make their lives better and not worse. I think a lot of this goes back to the actual ruling of Roe v. Wade and sort of the weird legal arguments that were made to justify whether or not abortion should be legal to the extent that it is. Because what you're talking about is pretty much codified in the opinion itself. Um, one, of the, one of the authors of the opinion on the court wrote that maternity or additional offspring may force upon a woman a distressful life and future. Psychological harm may be imminent. Mental and physical health may be taxed by childcare. Yada, yada, yada. Basically making this argument not about whether or not it's infringing upon like the woman's natural rights to, to sort of live free and happy, but like that the child may be an undue burden right. on a family, therefore they are up for termination. <laughs> and I, it, that's not the argument that I think a lot of people feel that they are having when they uh, when they talk, talk about abortion. They'd like to have options. And the conservatives, I think the, the onus is currently on the Republican Party to offer a pro-life vision that offers the alternatives that Kat is often talking about, giving people more options, Absolutely. allowing people to not get pregnant, yep. it, making it easier for people to avoid this problem altogether, and a robust welfare state that supports actual children being born and then finding new families because currently they just languish in adoption facilities. I, I am all in favor of I, one of the biggest critiques of the Republican Party that I have today is that they are are not committed to building a pro-family um, America, and that's something that I absolutely think is right. That doesn't negate the fact that fundamentally what we're talking about when we're talking about abortion is the taking of a human life. And Roe v. Wade itself said, in between talking about human children being a burden on, on women, the, the the majority opinion said this entire line of reasoning falls apart if we ever prove that a human child is a life. So even encoded in the very Supreme Court precedent that holds up abortion is the fundamental acknowledgement that all of this hinges on when life begins. When, well, when do see, you I, view I, life beginning? Personally? Yeah, personally. I think it believes the conception. Okay. When sperm meets the egg, we have fertilization, boom. Yes, that's, that's although it is worth mentioning that yeah. the vast majority of times when that happens, when a zygote is created, yeah. it, even if it's a wanted baby, it's not going to actually end up being a human child in the world. Uh, the way that our bodies are built, the vast majority of uh, zygotes that are created don't actually carry all the way to pregnancy. Uh, as I said, pregnancy is a miracle. It's rare that it Why actually Why does it matter happens. if it's wanted? Women don't choose when they get pregnant. The entire process of getting pregnant is just biological magic that sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Some people can go their entire lives wanting to be pregnant and it never happens. And then we just have the instance where we talk about women as if there's sort of like this altruism to them allowing pregnancy to occur and then therefore they get to lord over whether or not it ends or goes all the way to fulfillment. Because it happens within their bodies and because the baby is sustained by their body and by literally leaching the nutrients out of their bodies. The reason that we take prenatal vitamins is because if you don't, 
uh, the needed vitamins come out of your bones, they come out of your teeth. There's a reason why women who have uh, babies oftentimes lose teeth. It's why women have lower bone density. It's all of these types of things, right? The prenatal vitamins are incredible uh, because they save women's lives more than people view them as it's for the baby, it's for mm -hmm. the woman, right? So let's say, uh, Stephen, that I needed a kidney transplant, right? I'm going to die without that kidney transplant. Do I have a right to demand someone else's kidney? Because if I don't, if I can't use the state to take someone else's kidney because otherwise I can't live, then how come a child that is inside a woman's body, which she owns herself, yes, maybe that child owns its body, but that child owns its body inside of another human and it can only exist by uh, relying upon that human and that human's life. That's why it's about a choice, because it's about a choice to sustain someone within your life. And it's no different than the choice that you would make uh, to give your kidney to someone who's going to die otherwise. Well, but, but it is different because it's not a kidney, it's a human being. Right. And you just said, no, 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 no. Well, but well, I'm well, not, well, you're, well, you're well, missing, you're missing the comparison well, here because I, I have, the kidney have, here but, is not the baby. The right. It's the person giving the kidney. Right. You, you and I agree. Right. That life begins at conception. That's sure. what you said. Right. So you and I agree that a human being or a, a child growing inside a mother is a human being. Because sure. That's when life I do begins. believe that that is true. So if that is true, you believe that abortion is killing because abortion is ending what you and I both agree is a human life. Is that right? Yes, and I believe okay, that— Okay, so you are, think that—but so, so, but you also believe in legal abortion. So you think that the killing of a human life should be legal. Yes, and I'm pretty sure you do too. Do you think that in, in a case of self-defense that it should be legal? Do you think that— It's not self-defense. It's an innocent human life that's been deprived of any due process rights and hasn't committed any crimes at all. You are arguing I don't by your you, own standards I for legalized this, abortion. This, I think the issue here is child. that you do not actually view the woman as having the same amount of rights as the child. I, I, I actually view them as having the exact same amount of rights, which is that they nobody has the right to kill an innocent human being without due process of law or without a, the specific instances in which it's self-defense. They, they both have exactly the same rights. You are the person who doesn't actually believe in equal treatment under the law because you think that just because a human child is dependent on someone else, even though you agree with me that no, it's no, a human life. No, 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 life. so you're saying a human child is dependent on someone else. I think there's a very big difference between my baby depends on me to take care of him on a daily basis and a child that is inside your body that relies upon your body that could cause you to die. Can I posit that I think one of the this. things that's being left here is like whether or not the baby was invited by a voluntary act. So we often get very distracted in the abortion debate by rape and incest. It's like the only thing that we ever hear about when people debate this topic as if it happens like every single second of every single day in every single case. It's marginal, but it does happen millions a year. Year, right? But it's, it's still a fraction of overall pregnancies that happen every single year. So what about the actual, the actual aspect of responsibility and inviting pregnancy upon yourself by consensual sex? This is part of the equation when people do this. Women are in full control of their bodies. They know what they are capable of in most cases. And you think they should be more, more familiar may, uh, through sex education about what their bodies are capable of. But sex is an inviting act to pregnancy and everybody participates in it. Sure. I think that that's true. I think it's also very difficult to ascertain if you weren't there, whether or not it was a consensual act. But I will agree with you that the vast majority of pregnancies probably do come from consensual acts. And I think that people should be a lot more responsible about when they choose to have sex with someone else and what that sex consists of. And I think a big part of the problem here is, uh, you know, like you said, we don't have enough sex education. It's also an issue of having better birth control options, having better 
access to birth control. We should have OTC birth control in every state uh, with no age limits, right? There should be all sorts of options for people to avoid pregnancy. And that's actually where I think this debate should be. Nate is trying to move this debate into whether or not uh, women should have the same rights as a child. But I think that, again, I think we agree on the fact that we would like to reduce abortions. And the way to do that is to create a culture in which it does not hurt women to have children, a, a culture in which women's pregnancies are celebrated, a culture in which, uh, you know, we can talk about all sorts of ways in which our culture devalues childbirth. They are quite literally celebrated. I mean, <laughs> I don't... I, yeah, I, I know, sure, you, I know get, you get a baby shower. <laughs> you get a party. No, you I know you're party, talking about work. I know you're talking about work, but... You, you know, you overwhelmingly... That's where the wage gap begins. Right. Uh, that's where women oftentimes uh, get into domestic abuse relationships for the first time. It almost it, the this is such a dystopian. I, I just view. I don't think I don't think children are parasites. No, like, I, I also I, do like, not think that the, children are parasites. But the way that you've been talking Nate. about them since the beginning of this conversation is as these so, awful things okay. that should be avoided. So that's, I don't that is think the that disturbing that's true. Thing about the way I don't that people think that's true. Abortion. What concerns me is that you seem very focused on my view of children and very little on how to actually help women not be put into these situations where they feel that that is the case. All, well, I, talk, all I write about is about trying to build a more pro-family policy. Great, Child so we tax should credits, be doing this. I don't uh, think that you know, tax large, Well, fine, but you're a libertarian. I'm more of a traditionalist, so that makes sense. But I, as my entire political worldview, is built around trying so, to make American society more hospitable to motherhood. So, Great, so, that's what we should be doing. What we so, should be, but that doesn't negate no, 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 the but fundamental focusing, rights. Focusing on trying to shame people, trying to focus on what their personal, deeply held views might be, right? Trying to, you know, instead, you, you don't, it seems like you don't care about the incentive structure. It seems like you just want to push people's view on how they should view it, the same way as you. Instead, why don't we talk about creating the type of world where they don't view it that way? Right? Why don't we make a world I'd to, I'd in which you know we have better access to birth control, where uh, you know women don't get held back mm -hmm. in their careers because of this, where women are safe and able to have children, and where medical care is better? You know, the United States has a very high rate of maternal mortality, and you know the, those are the things we need to be addressing. Well, none of those are things I disagree with, but the difference is the difference is that you want to focus well, on, on shaming women rather than actually addressing the, the things that make them feel a certain way. The last thing that I want to do is shame women who have abortions. Abortions and yet, are, okay. and yet you keep let, turning let, this let back. I, I the last to... thing that I want to do is shame women who have abortions. Abortions are a horrific, tra tragic thing, and the vast majority of women who get them have been talked into them by propaganda from the abortion industry that tells them that it's just another medical procedure. And it, I think it's profoundly tragic that so many women feel pushed to that, and that the pro-life movement has an obligation to post-abortive women to treat them as the people who have been victimized by the abortion industry in the way that they have. So there's nothing I want to do, and there's nothing I've said that would suggest that I want to shame women who have an abortion. That does not negate the fact that abortion, you and I agree, is killing a human life, and no civilized society should have legalized mass murder of unborn children. That wanna, is just a fact. I want to talk about solutions here for a sec because, you know, the conservative movement has tried for a long time to actually make challenges to Roe v. Wade in several southern states at this point. They always get smacked down. Texas is the latest to actually pursue a new tactic here with the Texas heartbeat law. It's called SB8. We kind of teed it up here in the beginning. I want to get y'all's reactions to this in general. What everybody's kind of been talking about regarding this law is that it bans 
scans, all abortions after six weeks. I, it's, I guess, when heartbeats are, are typically detected. Uh, and then it also is basically empowering private citizens to carry civil lawsuits against one another and receive awards of up to $10,000 if they are able to win in court uh, reporting on people's abortions or the practice of an abortion. It takes state enforcement like out of the equation in air quotes here where you're not having like police and agents of the state dealing with abortion policy but it's really sticking like neighbor on neighbor to enforce the culture in Texas. What do you think of this as a solution um, for this debate? Well, okay, for one, I think it's basically, it sounds like the Stasi to me, right? It's this idea that you should be spying on your neighbor to try to figure out like, oh, okay, well, how are we going to be doing this? Are we going to be checking people's trash to see if uh, if they've been throwing away uh, feminine hygiene products and if they've skipped it for a couple months? I mean, it's, it's very deeply concerning to me, right? But I think the other issue is that it's, again, not getting to the root of the problem. The root of the problem here is we need to be creating a culture where people are not shamed or negatively uh, impacted by being especially a young, poor, or single mother. Nate, do you have a reaction to the Texas law and whether or not it is a, a serious framework for addressing this? I think it isn't the ideal one, but this is where we are in America. And it insofar as abortion is, you know, the taking of the lives of hundreds of thousands of unborn children every year, it's absolutely justified, right? The fundamental right that underpins every other right in any liberal democracy, and especially the American constitutional system, is the right to life. And since at least 1974, we have not been respecting that right to life, so we need to take increasingly radical measures to make sure that those fundamental rights exist. So it, um, it's, I'm glad to see that law passed. Hopefully we can get to a post-Roe America where we can do this in a more substantive way. The Texas law, one of the criticisms of it is <clears throat> that it basically bypasses judicial review mm -hmm. by taking it out of state enforcement and into kind of citizen-to-citizen -citizen court for lawsuits. Like the firearms policy, they're kind of an alternative to the NRA for gun owners. Like they were also issued an amicus brief, a gun rights group against this abortion ruling because it was cavalier and contemptuous mechanism for shielding the law from a view by higher courts and it's chicanery like it's just sort of like a legal trick to try to make this actually work i worry about that and i think libertarians in particular and gun rights advocates should be worried about how this kind of tactic could be modeled in other states it'll completely undermine federalism it's true but i think there's also a bigger problem too we're also creating a society in which we're incentivizing people to go after their neighbors to rat out their neighbors to the state to try to find you know, we're creating an incentive structure for rather than helping each other, trying to turn each other against each other. And that's also very concerning. I mean, I think that that's not the way that we move forward on this. Yeah, of, of course, we're not. Texas is not going to become an Orwellian state where neighbors are going through each other's trash. Right. The, the, actually, what this is going to look like in practice is you are going to have major state based pro-life groups in Texas doing most of the litigation against abortion clinics who continue to stay open despite the law. It's not going to be women getting spied on by their neighbors. There's no evidence to suggest that that's anything like what's going to happen. The actual stated purpose of the law and the way that it's going to play out is that you have large pro-life groups, pro-life advocacy groups that have been around for a long time in Texas and have been involved in Texas politics for a long time. Insofar as abortion clinics don't close down in Texas, and most of them have closed, are going to close down preemptively, 
those large groups will litigate against those abortion groups and, uh, and those abortion groups will be shut down. So the idea of individual neighbors going through you know, their, their neighbor's trash to see if they've been using feminine hygiene products, you know, I, I don't Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Please. So you want to end all abortion. I do. That's fair. Uh, so let's say that you have a situation where a woman is going to die. Does she have a right to life? Of course she does. But again, like we talked about, that's the tiny, tiny minority of abortions. And I don't know any pro-lifer who thinks that if the actual conflict is between the child being born mm -hmm. and the mother's life, that the, that the child should have precedence over that. So it's a, okay, so a where's that line, though? Where's that line, though? What if she's going to have uh, serious problems that will further result in her death later on down the line? I, and I why are you the right person to make that decision and not her doctor and not herself? Why am I the right person to make the decision that murder should be illegal? Right? Should should we say, well, people disagree about whether or not knifing someone in the back is murder. So, you know, it's it's a Wait, personal it's choice. It's the same situation, it, it is, and you exact, know that it, it is. Is if you and I agree, absolutely if you and I agree, not the same situation. You are no, it's absolutely not the same situation. And the only way that you can view that as the same situation is if you don't think that there is something special and different about the fact that a baby grows inside someone's body, a woman's body, or if you do not believe that that woman should have the same right as the baby growing inside of her. I think it should, the woman, as I've said, should have the exact same rights as the baby growing inside of her. The baby does not have a right to kill a human child, regardless of how dependent the human child is on it. The woman doesn't either. They have the exact same rights to life. None of that changes regarding whether what stage of pregnancy the baby is in. You and I agree that the baby is a human life. All human lives have inherent dignity. They all have the exact same So what about in the rights. case of miscarriage? Let's let's talk about miscarriage, right? So since 2006 to 2020, mm -hmm. over about 1,300 women, because of abortion restrictions, have gone to jail, been arrested, or faced criminal charges following a miscarriage. I would have to see the statistics on that, Kat. I don't think women are going to jail in America for getting yeah, miscarriage. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to need to tell me yeah. more about that. <laughs> uh, so these are largely cases where a woman goes to the hospital, she's had a miscarriage, they ask questions. So like, for instance, in one situation, a woman had taken um, a half a dose of Valium in the course of her pregnancy. Now, overwhelmingly, the women who are in these situations are women who are poor, women who uh, don't have, who are not well-educated, women who are in a bad situation. And obviously, 1,300 women, it's a little bit less than that, mm -hmm. is not that many women overall. But personally, I think any woman who is in that situation who's just faced one of the worst possible things to ever happen to her and is then having to be questioned by the police is, who is arrested, who is having to defend herself, I, I think that that's a huge problem. And those, that's a problem that's specifically been created by these laws. Uh, I mean, is it not the case, and that though, rate that is going if, up, actually. if a pregnant woman's second trimester is assaulted and the assailant shoots her, right, and kills her and also terminates the life of that child, that person usually gets a higher sentence. It we, depends. Yeah, we, we tend, to, tend to litigate and try these things those way. But if the woman just decided, I don't want to go through with this, not for a health reason, just, just doesn't seem right, got divorced, right, didn't work out with the guy and she just wants to end this right now, how is that any different? How is that, that moral case any different? I think we're focusing on the wrong thing here, Stephen. Okay. Again, I think that we should not be creating these moral situations in the first place. That woman in your situation who got divorced is in the second trimester who presumably really wants this child. So it's it's questionable to me even that that many of these women exist that are, uh, you know, aborting a baby that late into a pregnancy that had been wanted to that point. But let's say that this is a true case. Why 
is she not in a situation where she feels that she can support that child on her own? Why is she not in a situation where that child could be her light out of the situation? I think that's where we need to be focusing. What can we do to make this a more positive and good situation for women, for pregnant people, rather than... That requires the government taking a position on this. And the the United States government, our, our health agencies, all that having a culture of life. And they currently have a culture of death. They don't encourage those things. They don't message on the right to on the right to life, the dignity of the life inside. They message quite the contrary: women's choice, women's choice, women's choice. That's all that they talk about. So this idea that the government is somehow on the sidelines—they're not. They're no, taking the government's not on the ta- sidelines. They're taking at all. the, the opposite is position. Absolutely in this situation. And I think like what we all want to see is the government has to like take a position on it, but it can't like just take a spiritual position. It has to like make law, right, and protect life and then offer alternatives. But, you know, they don't want I mean, to I guess see abortions happen, What I want to try to do, wrap us on is whether or not that. there's a case for optimism here in the future, because I think what, what I know what Kat has said is true about abortion rates declining. It's because a lot of people aren't having sex and starting families, so there's not a situation to resolve for a lot of people. And I, I mean, you look at that and you're like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to feel good about that in some sense, but we're still talking about millions upon millions a year, and then it's not good. Is there a future in which we we can be optimistic and sort of see that this is going to get better over time, culture of life, cultural attitudes, or technological change? Uh, There's a lot of different possibilities around the corner for people being able to maybe even complete the terms of their pregnancy without terminating children or carrying them. Um, It's a little dystopic in a sense, but there are options around the corner. Yeah, I don't want to be naively optimistic, but... It is, there's an uphill battle for the pro-life movement. The American regime, our political system, has been sort of reordered towards abortion rights in a pretty radical way in the sense that the courts are definitively on the side of abortion rights. Uh, one of the two major political parties definitively on the side of abortion rights. Executive bureaucracy, right? A lot of the political powers are making it difficult for an insurgent pro-life movement. But the pro-life movement has been winning hearts and minds. We've seen public opinion move. Either it hasn't budged or it's moved towards the pro-life side by some amount, although it's difficult to tell how much. We've seen pro-life laws getting passed now that we have a ostensibly conservative uh, majority on the Supreme Court. Um, And we have seen advances in science which make it, A, easier to, uh, to understand exactly when human life begins because there was a much more vivid understanding of how early things like a baby responding to their mother's voice, a baby kicking, right? All of these things that we associate with the humanness of the child that vividly illustrates that we're talking about a human being inside of the, of the mother, all of those things have become more and more clear. And it's been easier to, we have, we have the medical technology now to allow babies to survive outside their mother earlier and earlier. So all of these things are pointing towards the pro-life side. The science is certainly on our side, and I think the energy is moving in the right direction. I do feel like this will be like a, and I'm going to use the word barbaric, a barbaric chapter in our history where this practice is going to be liberalized and you know, hundreds of thousands of people do it, but then we're going to reach a point where technologically we don't have to do it anymore, and there are the real alternatives for people to, A, not be victimized by their own pregnancies and go through hard experiences there. I wouldn't or, use the word victimized, but... That's fair. But go through the experience all the way to the end. I mean, what the technology is, they, they've been putting um, lambs in these things called bio bags and raising them after like 100 days of pregnancy all the way to completion. And they are working on trying to make this the case for human children as well. 
it's a little dystopian and it kind of freaks me the hell out. Yeah, there are other ethical questions. Right, to even think about that. But like, that is the future that we could be headed towards. And I I imagine that we're going to to reach it at some point. We're going to have to come up with ethical decisions about, all right, so if we have this option for women to actually no longer go through their pregnancy and have the child born artificially, do we take it? And if we believe that these children are are real, breathing human lives that they need to be protected, do we ban the practice of abortion and mandate the synthetic carrying of children in its place? Those are choices we will have to make, or at least our children's generation are going to have to make. So I do think that it's dystopian. I also think that, yes, overwhelmingly, we are probably moving in a more positive direction, whether it's because of better medical technology or whether it's because we're, you know, getting better access to birth control, uh, more and more states are in, are having OTC birth control, whether it's the fact that culturally men uh, fathers are being expected to step up more to the plate, spend more time with their children. Uh, millennial fathers spend significantly more time with their children than earlier generations. It's still uh, significantly less than mothers, but those kinds of things. But I do think that I agree with Nate on one thing, and that's that uh, our culture does not value life. Our culture does not value uh, the ability to bring forth children. And this is not a left or right issue. Uh, there are just as many folks on the right who do not actually care about what happens to a child once a child is here and do not actually care about the impact uh, that childhood and that motherhood has on women uh, because of the culture that we have created, right? And I do think that there is a possibility if we have better uh, sex education where people do find out about all of the stages of childbirth, all of the stages of pregnancy, the impact that that has at every stage, uh, and how uh, how children grow up, all of these things. If we're teaching this kind of st- stuff as a basic part of standard education that most people receive, if we have better access to birth control, if we increasingly have a view that both men and women should be equally involved in raising the child that they helped create, um, if we in workspaces have as a correspondence to that, have maternity leave, have paternity leave, have um, more flexibility. Now, uh, the Biden administration is pushing for essentially what is a state-provided childcare for everyone. I didn't have a child, so I could not spend any time with them. And women overwhelmingly want flexibility. Men want flexibility to spend that time with their child. And corporate profits go up when that flexibility is there. I mean, all of those types of things, if we move in that direction, yes, I think we'll have a good story. Y'all, I want to thank you both for for navigating this subject. It's highly emotional. It's really, really hard to talk about. I want to crawl out of my skin going through this subject front to back. Uh, But it matters. Uh, I know y'all both care a whole lot about it. So thank you for navigating this with me. I hope we'll do it again. And uh, there's just so much more to to go through. That's fine. Um, More premises to unravel. That is it for this episode of Right Now. I'm Stephen Kent. Big thank you again to Kat Murdy from Feminists for Liberty and Nate Hotchman, conservative columnist and a fellow with the National Review. We'll revisit this topic in a few months when the Supreme Court offers a ruling on the Texas abortion law. Next week, I'm talking to Twitch streamer and YouTube human Dylan Burns. We met in Nashville a few weeks ago at Free or Future Fest, and I hope we're going to talk about how streamers are shaking up the political opinion space, which they are. And in two weeks, we have a really special guest, me! 
Friend of the show, Andrew Heaton, will be here to interview me about my new book, How the Force Can Fix the World, Lessons on Life, Liberty, and Happiness from a Galaxy Far, Far Away, which is on sale right now in advance of its November 9th Elite release. So I hope you've gotten your copy ordered. And if not, search up How the Force Can Fix the World wherever you get books. I also narrated the audiobook myself, so if you like Audible, you can get that. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, keep asking why, stay out of line, and be a bug in the system. Have a great week.